Good morning, good afternoon and good evening and welcome to you wherever you are in the world. This is James Schofield, the creator of the stories in the podcast Behind the Bottom Line. We've just come to the end of season six of the book that I've been reading, Peril in Venice. Peril in Venice was a book that I wrote in 2008. And I thought today I'd tell you a little bit about the background to where the story came from. So if you haven't already listened to episodes one to nine of this season of Behind the Bottom Line, then you really should go back and start from the beginning because otherwise today's episode is going to contain one or two spoilers, which would be a shame. Uh, But let me just recap for those of you who have been listening faithfully all the way through. Emily Lee, an exhausted young executive, goes on holiday to the island of Pacelli in the Venetian lagoon. And instead of being able to relax and do some yoga and get massages and uh, exercise, uh, she gets involved in breaking up a drug ring run from the island by the charismatic owner of the yoga retreat, the Advanced Center for Wellness and Meditation, Caliban Leone. Uh, She has all sorts of adventures. She also involves her friend Filippo Cimino and together they manage to break up the ring and find the murderer of the poor cook on the island, Paolo Montesano. So let's find out where all these places and people come from. First of all, the island of Pacelli is very loosely based on an island in the Venetian lagoon called Torcello, which you can visit uh, if you want, if you're if you're in Venice. And um, it is a beautiful place. It's a little bit different to the description that I give of it, because it's uh, very low lying, whereas the, the island that I talk about does actually have a, a little hill in the middle of it so that uh, Emily and Filippo are able to go and observe what's going on in the in the waters around the island. Um, but it is a very beautiful place. It has the oldest basilica uh, in Venice. It was the original uh, cathedral, the original basilica for the area until the basilica in St. Mark's Square was uh, opened. And if you go to the island, you can walk around it. And there are various paths leading off in different directions. And one of them that I followed led to a gate. And the gate was uh, very firmly locked. You couldn't get through. And it was surrounded by by high walls, so you couldn't really look over. And it was a yoga center, which called itself something like the Advanced Center for Future Yoga. Now, I couldn't find out really very much more about it. Even if you try Googling it, you can't really find out anything. So the only thing I could do was to climb up the basilica and have a look down over the over the wall, so to speak. And it's a little bit how I describe it in the story. Uh, A nice looking building, nice looking grounds leading down to the sea, uh, little boats nearby that I assume the the guests used. And so for my story, I set it in the Advanced Centre for Wellness and Meditation. One curious thing, um, of course, is that there are other stories and other television series that have um, used a similar theme. Uh, And I'm not claiming, of course, plagiarism on their part, because it's hardly a a particularly original topic. But um, Breaking Bad, of course, you have the central character who is a 
ordinary chemistry teacher and turns to manufacturing drugs in order to uh, make money for his family. Um, and Caliban Leone, of course, who was a, an ordinary chemist and, and yoga teacher who turned to manufacturing ecstasy tablets in order to pay for the upkeep of his palazzo in Venice and also uh, the, uh, the island of Pacelli. So a couple of similarities there. Um, but also actually a more recent book and television series, uh, Nine Perfect Strangers. Uh, the book is not that good. The television series I enjoyed enormously. And that is also set in a wellness center where the, where the guests discover themselves. And there's a fair amount of drug taking in that. So parallels there. And sometimes I'm feeling a little bit aggrieved that my book wasn't discovered first. There are certain things on the island that I describe that relate to times when I've been in Venice on holiday. Um, one point, Emily describes the smell of the jasmine in her room at night outside. And that dates back to, I think, the first time I went over to the Lido in Venice. Um, and uh, late at night, walking back towards the ferry and the walls of the villas were covered in jasmine and it smelled incredibly strong. And of course, the food that Paolo Montesano cooks is kind of largely based on food that I would like to have. Now, unfortunately, my experience of eating in Venice has not been that positive. Um, of course, Venice has so many visitors and so many tourists all the time that the restaurants don't really have to try. And I've tended to find that food elsewhere in Italy is much better than in Venice, though, you know, you can get lucky. Um but the food that I describe Emily having when she's on the island uh, is very much based on what I would like to have in an ideal world if I could go to a restaurant there. The two characters of Emily Lee and Filippo Cimino came from uh, a business English book that I wrote a, a couple of years before Peril in Venice called Double Trouble, as is reference in the story. Uh, Emily managed to help Filippo escape from being charged with murder in the company Burger Build that they both worked in. Dottie Van Mies, the New York socialite, is not really based on anybody I know, um, except, but is how I would like to imagine a New York socialite would be. You might also think it's a little bit odd that um, Pug's uh, or pug handbags or reference to pug dogs play such an important role in the book. And this is because at the time we had just got ourselves a pug uh, who's still alive, uh, lying there on the carpet snoring away called Mr. Tilney. And he was very much on my mind when I was writing Peril in Venice. And of course, you can actually find in Venice those handbags with pugs decorating them. Uh, that uh, play such a key role in the final two chapters. But of course, the main character in Peril in Venice is actually Venice itself, uh, which is a, a city that I've visited lots of times. And Venice is alternately really amazing and really horrible. The peculiar thing about Venice is it, I think it is literally impossible, however bad a photographer you are, 
to take a bad photograph of the of the city. Everything that you photograph in, in Venice comes out looking beautiful and it's a combination of the light and the water and the buildings uh, and everything. The horrible side of Venice, of course, is its crowdedness. The city was simply not designed to cope with the number of people um, that uh, visit it every year and I include myself in, in that number. I'm also guilty there. But it is also very extraordinary how uh, if you take a step away from the main tourist path through the city, uh, you can find uh, very quiet, undisturbed areas of the city, which remind you of why you wanted to go there in the first place. The Jewish ghetto, which appears twice in the story, once in the final scene where Emily and Dottie have dinner together, um, is a strange area. It is a little bit spooky. Uh, as I describe it, the buildings are much higher there because the authorities wanted to keep all the Jewish people in the area together, so they were allowed to build higher than uh, other people in the rest of the city. Um, and it is kind of dark and quiet and a little bit sad somehow. And when you walk through there, it's impossible not to think of the Merchant of Venice and Shylock. Despite the problems with crowds and the difficulties of getting around uh, on foot in Venice, because it's, it is so easy to get lost, um, there are an extraordinary number of interesting shops. Now, a lot of them are taken over with uh, really horrible glassware, uh, supposedly made in Murano, but actually coming from China. But even so, there are an awful lot of really amazing shops. And for some reason, the th shops which always fascinated me were the glove shops. Um, there, are, there seemed to me to be lots and lots of glove shops uh, in, with gloves in the windows in amazing colours. I don't really have much need for gloves. But if I, th I think if I did, I would definitely be in Venice buying myself three or four pairs every single year. I also have a deep love of the Vaporettos. Um, I never really managed to understand the system and how it works. There is a system uh, and it is pretty efficient if you live there um, and you know how to use it and it works ex exceptionally well. As an occasional visitor, it's very difficult to grasp the ins and outs. But I don't think there is anything much more amazing than going down the Grand Canal, even on the number one boat, which stops everywhere and is incredibly slow. Um, but it, you just take in those, the, the most amazing sights. And as long as you're not squashed up against an Australian or American tourist with a, with a rucksack, um, and you're able to sit down and look at everything going past you, then it is wonderful. Twenty twenty one was quite a busy year for me for podcasting. Uh, here are a few statistics. We had at the beginning of the year the story Vixen. That was five episodes. That took us into the end of that took us to the end of January. After that we had season four of Behind the Bottom Line with ten of my short stories. That took us up to that took us up to April. Then from June until August we had Double Trouble. Uh, which seemed to be very popular. And then finally, from October until December, we have had Peril in Venice. So all in all, including today's episode, that's 31 episodes that I broadcast um, with over 500 minutes of me to listen to. 
Now just think if any friends of yours are thinking, oh, what shall I do over the Christmas period? So much time on my hands. Then why don't you recommend that they listen to Behind the Bottom Line? They've got uh, more than 500 minutes worth of me to listen to. Spotify also produced some statistics for Behind the Bottom Line. So we reached new listeners around the world and exciting, I should have a drum roll here, wait for it, this year we reached Austria for the first time. And I'm a little bit offended actually by Austria that you didn't tune in earlier because, you know, you're only down the road from me here in Munich. So how come you didn't find out about Behind the Bottom Line earlier? Anyway, glad to have you with us uh, and I hope that many more Austrians will be joining me next year. Overall, there was a 45% increase in the number of followers Yeah, and I've got to hope that that is repeated next year. So let's have a look ahead to 2022 and what's going to be coming up. Well, I'm going to be taking a little break until the end of January, and then I will be back with season seven, and I will be going back to telling you my short stories. So the short story plus a little bit about its background each time. I have to admit I'm a little bit nervous about next year. Um, I don't like the way things are developing politically in Europe with forced vaccinations, digital ID cards. I find it all very scary. And I hope that some of the things that the politicians are threatening um, actually don't come about. But I'm not too optimistic, to be honest, because all sorts of things that I thought could never happen in Europe happened last year. And all sorts of freedoms which we kind of took for granted are gradually being suppressed. And if I had a film tip for you, I would recommend you watch V for Vendetta, an excellent film, which at three o'clock in the morning, I tend to think is the way that we're heading. Now, as you might have heard in Peril in Venice, I'm something of a fan of tarot cards. Uh, If you remember, Dottie van Mies in one of the early chapters reads Emily's Fortune. And amazingly, she got it right. Anyway, I thought it would be fun as the last activity for this year on Behind the Bottom Line to do a tarot reading for next year. So, ladies and gentlemen, in a first for Behind the Bottom Line, let's do a tarot reading live on this podcast episode. So the question that I would like to have answered is, what will happen to Behind the Bottom Line in 2022? Okay, what will happen to Behind the Bottom Line in 2022? So I have my tarot cards here in my my hand. Let's just do a quick shuffle. So I'm just going to go through the pack and pick out four cards at random, not looking to see what they are. Just taking them out, putting them down. Uh, I think this card speaks to me here. Okay, let's see what we've got. So turning over the first card, this is the one that you can see in the picture of this podcast episode. This is the one on the right. And this is the, the starting position. And we can see here I got the Magician. So let's have a look to see what it says about the Magician. Well, that's quite a nice card for the the starting position. It says that with great energy, I've managed to achieve what I wanted. And that I took the initiative in things. And I showed influence and strength of will. Okay, that's the starting position. Let's see 
what this question is not about. Two of stars there, you can see at the top. So I have to admit here, I have a guidebook. I'm not so much of an expert that I can read the cards straight off. I need to look things up. Oh, yes, interesting. Two of stars. So what it's not about now is taking things easy and behaving like an idiot uh, or just uh, blowing with the wind. Uh, I Plainly, I need to show consistency. So it seems to indicate to me that we have a fairly serious situation coming towards us in 2022. Hmm, okay, let's see what I should be doing. Ah, okay, so this is interesting. I've now got the three of stars. You can see that there on the left. So it seems that it is important that I have to stand a test and overcome it uh, if I want to move on. And I have to show what I'm capable of. If I want to prove myself, I need to take the next step. Okay. So let's see the last card here. You can see this on the bottom. That's the Knight of Swords. Hmm, always a little bit alarmed when I get swords. Okay, what does it say about that? Ooh, hmm, okay. So my next step will lead me into a period of a period of argument. Hostile environment with, with cold opposition uh, and a lot of criticism. And I will need to defend my position strongly. So, okay, interesting combination here for 2022. Uh, let's hope that at the end of 2022, I can look back on Behind the Bottom Line and how it's developed and see it in a positive way. Uh, but it seems to me, my friends, that cold wind is coming next year. I hope that your 2022 uh, is successful and that you manage to overcome all the challenges that are on its way. And I look forward to you being with me again in the end of January, when we will be back with season seven of Behind the Bottom Line. Until then, have a great Christmas, have a good new year, look after yourselves, and see you then. Bye bye.